In the fall each year we all congregate The bound all gathered at the church of Pilgrim The scriptures reading from the book of Monson Our favorite verse, my God, a precious Drunk and obnoxious, what Georgia faith Ain't nothing finer in the land Now the 3,000 of our best friends It's Saturday in that thing Welcome to the Saturday in Athens podcast. We're a Georgia Bulldogs show. I'm your host, Seth Saunders, joined as always by my co-host, James Kim. Brother, I feel like it's been, I mean, it almost has been a month since you and me have chatted about the dogs and caught up and kind of given a state of the union. So here we are. We're like, dude, it's game week, which feels weird to say. I feel like I haven't played football in forever, but game week, we are, as we are taping, it is Wednesday. So we're what three days, three days. Yeah. Three days out. Um, both teams are in Atlanta getting ready for the game. Been some fun stuff going on. We obviously have a lot to catch up on. I told you this off air, but you should be worried today because your boy came prepared with notes, which I never do. So yeah, I'm going to give you the, the deep dive today. How are you feeling about that? A little nervous. Cause I am not prepared at all. <laughs> should be nervous i'm gonna i'm gonna drop some drop some knowledge on you let's talk about this first i want to talk about our pick em winners so joey thomas won the season-long competition he got the game day products grand prize so he's going to get a nice little haul as soon as he gets everything joey's going to send us some pictures he also got the 10 pounds of red which we posted on our uh, social media accounts the belts turned out outstanding if i do say so myself they are my favorite belts that we've ever done this being year three and uh, i think the alligator skins or faux alligator skins is probably my favorite part and our celebrity guest picking winner with a tiebreaker win during sec championship week was travis denning travis went seven and three in the regular season on during his week on the show. And he also went seven and three during championship week, edging out Aaron Murray, who went five and five in the championship week pickoff. So thank you to all of our guests that came on. Thank you to everybody that participated in the pick'em. And thank you so much to game day products and to be unlimited for being awesome, awesome partners throughout um, the pick'em contest and throughout the season. And, just can't say enough good things about both of them. So if you are looking for any type of dog-themed apparel uh, or something to decorate your office or your dog den or whatever it may be, check out Game Day Products and Be Unlimited. We've got them both on our website, and we link them in all of our show notes. So go check them out. They're awesome partners, good people. Um, so, yeah, we're fired up about that. Can't wait to see Joey and Travis in the belts. They are in the mail as we speak. I feel like we talk about this every year, but I feel like we need belts, like just for us, like to keep. Yeah. We need tag team belts. We talk yes. about it. We do talk about it every year. We need to get some tag belts. Ooh, I like tag belts. That's a, that's a fantastic idea. Maybe we do something fun with that. Cause then we could put like stuff on the, you know, you can customize the plates on the side and everything. Yeah. We got, we got to think about that. All right. That's all my, that's on my checklist. Okay. So, Football this week. Well, hold on. Do you want to talk about the game and then have me tell you about my experience at the Heisman, or do you want to go the other way? Let me talk about my experience at the Heisman 
and then talk about what? the game. I said, let's go in order. Let's go in order of what happened, and then let's go to the Heisman, and then let's go into the game. Okay, so Stetson was a finalist for the Heisman Trophy, which everybody in America knows. And when it seemed like kind of the last quarter of the season after the Tennessee game that he might be in that conversation with the way things were playing out, we reached out to the Heisman and requested a media credential because as the dates lined up, I was going to be in New York anyways with my family. So I figured, why not? It'd be awesome to cover it. And the Heisman was super gracious, gracious and granted us a credential. And so the way the Heisman is set up for media credentialing is all of the interaction with the finalists occurs um, at the Marriott in Times Square. So the actual event takes place at Lincoln Center, but that's not where any of the actual like media availability takes place. So if you're seeing like press conferences or clips with the finalists, that's all taking place offsite from Lincoln Center where the ceremony happens. So they had a finalist press conference on Friday at the hotel and swung by that and got to hang out. They had, I guess you would call them booths, essentially like desks set up for all four finalists. And so I hung out at Stetson's for his media availability, which lasted about a half hour. And it was great. I thought he was, it's actually interesting to talk about this today because he had his media availability for the Peach Bowl today. And multiple people have made comments about how thorough he was and thoughtful he was with his answers and things of that nature, which all are identical to how he was during his media availability at the Heisman. Every question he was asked was he when, – when I say thoughtful, I don't mean like he had canned answers. I mean like he received the question, he absorbed it, and then he gave a very present and very thoughtful response to whatever he was asked. And it was great. It was, it was different, I thought. It wasn't a lot of these talking points or he had been prepped and peppered with all this stuff to say. He just was himself. And I'm sure you saw the images on some of our stuff, but he wore the Georgia Letterman jacket, which I yeah. absolutely loved. He was the only one there that had that, which was awesome, I thought. And I thought I could never really see, but I think he also was wearing a DGD fund polo underneath the jacket, which I also thought was really cool. Um, so, yeah, I thought it was very representative of who he was and a he was a fantastic ambassador for the University of Georgia and for the football program. So that was really neat. The other cool thing was, dude, the trophy's there. Like the media room, the trophy's just sitting on the stage. So I'm like, you could get an inch away from it. You know, like I feel like the Heisman trophy should be something like the declaration of independence. Like if you, if your body temperature gets too close, (laughs) lasers go off or something, (laughs) but no, that's not how it is. It's like just right there. And, I just think it's one of the cooler trophies in all of sports. So to see it up close like that, I had seen it one other time up close, but this was really neat. And that was kind of the experience on Friday. And then Saturday, you had the opportunity. They had another finalist press conference before the show, which I didn't go to because we had already had tickets to the Rockettes at Radio City. So we were at the Rockettes. But during the day, you got to go to Lincoln Center and see the venue and homie the venue was awesome so 
I didn't know this because I don't know much about New York and we're just a couple huckleberries from the country, brother. But dude, Lincoln Center, I just thought was like one thing, like one building. But that's not true. Like there's multiple buildings associated with Lincoln Center. And this theater is called Jazz at Lincoln Center. And it's on, I don't know, maybe the fifth or sixth floor of the, this building that looks back on Columbus Circle. So you get in the room and it's it's amphitheater style seating. So probably, I don't know, what were the pictures I sent you? What do you think? There were like 20, 25 rows, something like that. Yeah, easy, 25. And big stage. And they had like a 25 foot tall replica of the Heisman Trophy on the stage, which was awesome. And then huge bank of windows that looks out into Columbus Circle and then down 60th like where the park is central park. And then if you follow the 60th all the way down, you just hit um, the plaza famous from home alone to the ding, ding, dong hotel. So, yeah, so that's cool. And that was, I, I thought a really interesting setting and looked really awesome when you walked in and then they had all the, the oil paintings that you see on TV of all the finalists hung up all throughout the theater. So I went up and took pictures of Frank Sinkwich and Herschel and, that was cool. And I actually ran into Rob Say, the you know, Georgia photographer who does a ton of stuff with yeah. Georgia Athletics, takes pictures for Jack Nicholas, um, just tons of stuff. And he was awesome. Really, really nice guy. I enjoyed talking with him. He had come up late to cover the event and I exchanged some correspondence with him. I think he ended up getting a ticket to the ceremony on Saturday night. So that was the other thing I was going to tell you. The media credential for all credential media, you you don't get access to the actual ceremony itself. They provide like a dinner and beverages and have the ceremony on a big screen in the media room. And that's where you consume the event if you're there as covered media. And then the winner comes back to the hotel and that's where the finalist or the the winner's press conference is. So that's kind of what all the, the setup is on that. But as you would expect, the Heisman was all class. Uh, All the interactions were outstanding. And I was telling my wife this. It is an event that I will try to go back to now every year. I mean, I just had such a positive experience covering it. And I just think culturally, it's such a, I think, iconic part of college football. So it was really, really awesome to be a part of it and just super thankful and super grateful that, we had the opportunity to do that and just can't say enough um, to the folks at the Heisman for allowing us to do that. So it was great. And I thought it was awesome for the university of Georgia. I think, you know, like Kirby being at the event, Josh Brooks being at the event, Stetson being there and getting so much face time. I just thought it was like a walking advertisement for the Georgia football program. And it couldn't have been a more sterling one in my opinion. So you consumed it. On TV, I mean, did you think it was cool? Like, I thought the segments they did with Stetson and his mom and dad were cool. Like, I thought it was a, thought it was good. I thought it was one of the better Heisman creations in recent memory. Um, I like the way they brought in the parents and like they had the individual segments with each one, and I like the way that they did like 
the grow up like grow up slash glow up of all the kids from like you know the time that they were like all the pictures and the videos and stuff like that i they've always had little clips of that stuff like going on but it didn't feel like it was like a complete transition in the past i just i thought this whole presentation this year was much better than in years past i thought in years past it was all like pomp and circumstance and because everyone and their brother knew caleb was gonna win there was really no question Caleb was going to win it and every year in years past I feel like that it was the winner is already pretty much known and it's always more like an hour-long ceremony of that person and the other finalists kind of get like five minutes but this seemed like each person got their equal share of time regardless even though everyone knew Caleb was going to win so I thought that this presentation was really well done yeah I agree I, I thought the same thing I thought this was one of the better presentations of it I wonder if they've got feedback or the the viewership has gone down because it just wasn't super entertaining and people are like, Oh, I'll just tune in like 10 minutes before it's over. So we yeah. see who the winner is and that's it. Um, Cause they, they have to make it entertainment. And I thought the theater was part of that. I mean, dude, it was a cool venue, but I had no idea what to expect. And when we walked in, I was like, man, this is awesome. Like, dude, it was, I'm talking floor to ceiling windows behind the stage and just cool panoramics of the city. And, it felt like a big event. Does that make sense? Yeah. Like as soon as I walked in, I was like, oh yeah, this is this big deal. Like obviously it's a Heisman, but it felt like a big deal. So uh, it was, it was really fun. And um, I think a nice catapult into the countdown to the bowl season, because it kind of made the lull between SEC title and the semifinals a little bit better because you had something else to look forward to that was Georgia-centered. So that part of it was cool, too. And hopefully this is going to be more the norm now that Georgia will have guys there, which I think there's an opportunity for that given how prominent the program is, A, and B, that Coach Munkin's offense is dynamic. So I don't think Stetson will be the last that we see for a while, like the gap it was between him and Garrison Hurst. So I'm excited about that. Um, Okay, big matchup coming up this weekend. Dogs are holding as a six-and-a-half-point favorite in the game. I want to get your initial thoughts and where you kind of stand on things, how you feeling, what's your gut telling you as we sit three days out. I feel about this game exactly how I felt before the Tennessee game. This game is going to come down to the lines of scrimmage and really – I hate to put it on one player again, but I feel this is going to come down to how Keeley plays. I feel yeah. like if he plays well and he plays like he did against Tennessee, we're going to win this game running away. And I feel like if the line, if the lines dominate like they did against Tennessee, we're going to win this game handedly. If they're able to get pressure and they're able to stop our pressure and Stroud can sit back there and, you know, just, you know, read a, read the newspaper we're going to struggle because our secondary can't guard them forever. I mean, they're a lot, they're, their wide receivers are very talented. They have edge talent. So if he like, and I don't, I'm not worried about Keely so much getting burnt, but I'm more worried about him with getting handsy and the penalties. That's what makes yeah. me nervous. Yeah. I think those are all great points. I, I do think that is something that as it normally isn't something that hasn't been talked about is the line play on both sides of the ball and how that's going to dictate things. And don't you feel like that's been the big difference in the Michigan Ohio state games the last two years is 
performance of offensive and defensive line for Michigan versus Ohio State. Like they were just more physical, more dominant, and better. And they won the football game. I mean, that's it. I think the physicality thing is is the biggest thing. Like everybody talks about how that they averaged like seven yards a carry, Michigan did, but that was re- that's really a skewed number because they had those two two huge runs in the fourth quarter by Donovan Edwards. So um I don't know what the exact number is, but they averaged around three yards a carry prior to that, give or take. It might be 3.5, it might be 2.8, something like that, but it's around three yards a carry. It wasn't like they were averaging, you know, five yards a pop and that bumped them up to seven. You know what I mean? Um, so that those numbers are a little bit skewed, but they were more physical on the offensive and defensive line of the ball line all game long. So I think that that is definitely – um, key for us. And I mean, I think we have better offensive and defensive lines than Michigan straight down the line. So this, if we play our, if we play our game, and as you said, all season, the biggest opponent for Georgia is Georgia. We mm-hmm. should win this game and we should win by multiple scores. Yeah, I, I, I'm with you. I feel the same way I felt before Tennessee, which is I have this good, nervous excitement about it a because there's been this law and b you're just excited but also because it is a legitimate opponent with legitimate edge athletes and it's a big time storied program so it's a lot of things to be excited about and plus i mean homie it's the dance right it's the semis so we are now playing for the trophy so you know i'm juiced up about all that and have all that good energy but on the flip side i also feel the same way as did about tennessee where it's like if we do what we are capable of doing, we're going to dump truck them. I mean, that's just, that's how I feel. I, Ohio State as a team does not scare me. It's, are we going to make mistakes that allow them to hang around and believe? Uh, because I, I just don't think they are as good a football team as we are. I mean, I think you have, we have now 13 games worth of evidence to show that the only opponent that can beat Georgia is Georgia. That's it. When they are prepared and ready and focused, they don't just win. They beat the pants off people. So I, I am very interested to see how they come out. And I just can't imagine, given what we've seen so far, that they're going to come out flat or come out not focused. And I honestly think them getting Ohio State in the semis was sort of a blessing because you get an opponent that they can't really shake off. Does that make sense? Like, it's a big enough opponent where yeah. they're, they're going to be up for it. So I actually thought the matchup turned out to be a blessing, the way everything shook out. I mean, I don't think it would have been any different against USC. It's sort of been a huge opponent, ton of history, um, you know, Heisman Trophy winner, Lincoln Riley, all that stuff. But it's six and one half dozen in the other from a, it's time to get up. It's time to go whip somebody's ass type thing. I mean, it's, it's, it's the same to me. So I thought that was good. I want to point out a couple things to you, and I, I'm just going to tell you off the jump. You know how I feel about the Big Ten this year. I thought the Big Ten stunk out loud. So what I did was I took who I thought were Ohio State's four best opponents and really kind of dug in to their games against those opponents, okay? So okay. I'm talking Notre Dame, Penn State, Michigan, and then I'm going to throw Maryland in there because it was a tough road test for them. So Maryland's going to get into it just based on that, okay? So throughout the course of the season, so if you look at averages, this is why I think averages sometimes can be deceiving. 
Ohio State, not a highly penalized team. They have 69 penalties on the season. I think they're in the top 25 nationally, fewest penalties per game, something like that, okay? So it doesn't really stand out or anything of that nature. But in those four games, Notre Dame, Penn State, Maryland, Michigan, they had over half of their penalties for the year, 35 penalties in those four games. Seven against Notre Dame, eight against Penn State, 11 against Maryland, and nine against Michigan. So you're talking in their four most important games, their four toughest games, they were the most undisciplined. So that was one thing I found very interesting and I think will come into play in a Mercedes-Benz Stadium that we expect is going to be slanted to fans of the red and black, no? So yeah, that's something I think for folks to ruminate on and watch for is how penalties play into things on the Ohio State side. Plus, I just think it speaks in general to some, some lack of discipline. To put it in perspective, Georgia is one of the least penalized teams in America, only about 4.3 penalties per game. I think it puts them at like 11th in the country. So just something to watch for. That's, that's one thing I wanted to point out to you. Also, in those four games, and this is one I'm real interested to see because I think it speaks to physicality and toughness, is, is Ohio State a fourth-quarter team? My thesis to you is that they're a one-half football team and that they're probably as good as anybody in the country for two quarters. But if you punch them in the mouth, they ain't showing up in the fourth quarter, okay? And what I'm going to submit to you is in the fourth quarter against Penn State, they gave up 17 points in the fourth quarter against Maryland. They gave up 17 points in the fourth quarter against Michigan. They gave up 21 points. So dude, that's a lot of points in the fourth quarter. Like when you're supposed to be bowing your neck and shutting people down, that's crunch time. So I'm very interested to see how Georgia asserts its will and its physicality. And I think kind of runs away with the ball game in the second half. Because I don't know that there's anybody in football better at the middle eight than Georgia is. And I think they will create separation during that time and then really put the foot on the accelerator in a second half. So those are my two kind of stats that probably most people won't talk about. But I thought were interesting if you were looking for some trends as it pertains to the Buckeyes. Also, point totals from those final three games – or not final three, but final three tough opponents, gave up 31 to Penn State, 30 to Maryland, and 45 to Michigan. Georgia has scored 30 points in 10 of their 13 games and only gave up 31 time, and that was to LSU in the SEC title game when they were essentially playing in a shell, throw as much as you want underneath defense. We're just waiting for the clock to run out so we can get the trophy. So take that for what it is. I think Georgia will score more than 30 on that defense. And I think Ohio State will struggle to score 20. Let's just put it that way. I'm not worried about Georgia scoring points on defense. And I'm not – it's really hard to describe because I really feel like – I keep going back and forth. I'm like, I feel like Georgia should dominate this game. And I feel like this mm-hmm. should be a game that Georgia has in hand early. I feel like this should go like Michigan last year. That's what yeah. I feel like this, how this game should be. I feel like this game should be over at halftime. But I could see a couple of bounces going Ohio State's way, and then all of a sudden we're in a dogfight in the second half. So it's one of those things. It's I'm just very – I'm cautiously optimistic, which you know is not my nature. So, 
You know what's funny about this matchup is on paper, if you just look at their stats across the board, total defense, total offense, yards per game, yards per throw, yards per carry, all this stuff, right? They look like very, very comparable teams, almost mirror images in a lot of ways. Like total offense, Ohio State's seventh in the country, Georgia's eighth. Ohio State averages 493 yards per game on offense. Georgia averages 492. Like, they seem like they are the same, okay? But what I think you're going to see is Georgia has played two other top 10 offenses, Tennessee and Oregon. And Tennessee's season average, 538 yards a game. Oregon's season average, 507 yards a game. Oregon had 313 against Georgia. Tennessee had 289 against Georgia. So, again, going back to them getting up for an opponent. Also, Tennessee had 74 touchdowns on the year. Oregon had 60. Oregon had zero against Georgia. Tennessee had one in junk time with like four minutes left in the game against Georgia. So, I don't know, man. I'm with you. I just feel like just from a gut perspective, this feels like a game where Georgia should blow the doors off Ohio State because it's just not a good matchup for the Buckeyes. I mean, also, let's just sprinkle in Georgia's plate. It's lunchtime at Tim Hortons, and we're serving up a special deal just for you. Our new $5.99 lunch deal includes your choice of any lunch sandwich and a side of crunchy kettle chips. Because what's lunch without a little crunch? And the sandwich choice is all yours. Like a ham and Swiss, Chipotle chicken wrap, BLT, and more. Made to order just the way you like it. Tim Horton's new lunch deal. Simple, delicious, and just $5.99. Now that's a good deal. Only at your neighborhood Tim's. U.S. only. Price and participation vary. Terms apply. Ben's twice. They scored 49 the first time, and they scored 50 the last time. So <laughs> yeah. I don't think they have real issues putting the ball in the end zone when they play at the Ben's. <clears throat> and a lot of people will keep wanting to bring up, you know, Georgia's injury situation. Like, you know, Lad's banged up. McClendon's banged up. Yes, that is all true. Okay, and Lad's been our most consistent receiver this year. And if he's not 100, percent that is that is big. But they're discounting the fact that AD is probably going to be close to 100 percent this game. Yeah, nobody outside of the Georgia fan base and Georgia reporters are talking about that. Yeah, it's like they're just completely glossing over the fact that our number one wide receiver probably will play the most games he's played since Oregon this week. Yeah. That's a great point. So, and so, I just I don't understand that because the, everybody keeps focusing on the, the the injuries and not the people coming back. So, to that point, let me hit you with some individual statistics from Penn State, Maryland, Michigan games. Penn State game, Sean Clifford throws for three seventy one. Parker Washington has eleven catches for one hundred and seventy nine yards. Okay, so those are eye popping numbers against Maryland. Tyloa Tagovailoa. 300 yards passing, six receivers, six caught passes of 20 yards or more. So, like, you're talking stretching the defense all over the place. And then, dude, in the Michigan game, Cornelius Johnson has four grabs for 160, averaged 40 yards a catch, dude, 40 yards a catch. So I I just think there's going to be a lot of big plays there to be had. And – is, George, is Ohio State's defense really going to be able to bracket anybody and take somebody away? So if they take Brock away, then AD is going to be one-on-one. If they take AD away, then Brock's going to be one-on-one. And then, you know, you got 
Darnell and you got Ladd and you I mean, like I just they ain't seen nobody like us. I did read where um, Ohio State is ranked very high in pass defense against tight ends and running backs, but they haven't played a team that's had two very good tight ends and a very good pass catching running back in Kenny at the same time. I, at least not that I know of the best tight end they played was Michael Mayer week one against Notre Dame. And he didn't play. He didn't have very good stats. Fair enough. Okay. I'm not discounting that, but who's Notre Dame's number two tight end. Do they even play with two tight ends? I don't know. I don't know enough about Notre Dame. So is there a running back, a pass catcher? I don't know that. Have they played a team like this? that can roll out Brock Darnell and Kenny that are three dynamic pass catching threats at the same time. Yep. And that discounts all the wide receivers. Yeah. I think that's the big thing is just the variability of weapons and they can just come at them so many different ways. And outside of Stetson, not doing what he's done all year, which seemingly at this point seems like that would be crazy. I mean, 13 games, you feel like you got a pretty good sample size, and he's been steady Eddie in all 13. It's just been the same. I'm just going to find the open receiver. I'm going to stay within the offense. I'm going to take what's there. So if they continue to do that, Ohio State can't stop them. I mean, that's just a fact. So I don't know, man. I it's And it being at the Benz, too, yeah. I just feel like, even listening to them talk during their press conferences this week about all the activities that the Peach Bowl has set up for them, they just seem like, yeah, it's it's cool or whatever, but, man, I'm ready to play. Like, they seem like they are just ready to go. And that's what you want. That was – I mean, we talked about this last year. I was nervous as hell there in South Beach because it's South Beach. And they're yeah. 18 to 22-year-old kids. It's South like, Beach, exactly. Yeah, you have no idea how focused they're going to be or whatever, but, like, They've been to Atlanta a million times. I mean, it's just business as usual. I feel like this is just SEC title week part two. So I don't think focus or anything like that is going to be an issue. Have you felt like any of the Ohio State talk, like from the players and the coaches, I'm not saying they're not confident, but it almost feels like this false bravado, like almost that they're – they're trying to talk themselves up almost that yes. they're trying to convince themselves. Like, I can't remember which one it was that um, it was a defensive player or no, an offensive player that said they had advantages all over the field on both sides of the ball. And I'm just like, okay, first of all, why would you say that out loud in a press yeah. conference three days before you're playing a team that hasn't lost, has lost one game in two seasons. Um, I like, what what do you get out of that? Like that's just that's a poorly I, I don't know. There's just something about that team and the way that they're constructed, and it, it comes from the top. Like they've been poorly coached since Urban Meyer won the national championship there in 14. They're just they're undisciplined, they just don't have it. And I don't know what it is, but it's just I don't understand that thought process. It's like, are they trying to convince themselves or are they trying to convince the media? Like, who are they trying to convince by saying something like that? Or are they just trying to piss the dogs off? I just feel like they've played two physical opponents in two seasons, Michigan, and both times the result was almost identical. And I think this year is more of an indictment because it happened on their home field, which is supposed to be one of the preeminent home field advantages in college football. Right. So all that just, I I don't know, man, that's what I mean is I just have this kind of gut feeling that 
it could turn into an absolute ass kicking by about 8.45 on Saturday night, which I would be perfectly okay with. It's just, you know, you're, I feel like you're always a little leery because you never know how the stuff's going to go out, but they are so locked in and so focused, and I just can't foresee them given the results we've seen all year, especially in their biggest games. I feel like they have played their best when the lights have been the brightest. No, if you look at Chick-fil-A kickoff and Tennessee and the SEC title game, like they looked like, you know, ain't nobody beating them. That's just kind of how it looked when you in those games. And it was almost like the games where they were disinterested, whether it's Mizzou or Kent state or, even Kentucky, when the weather stunk, and they were just kind of like, "All right, let's just get out of here." Like, you know what I mean? Like, I, it's yeah. just, I, I, that will not happen Saturday night. So, yeah, man, I, I do think too, there probably is some little tinge amongst you and I, and amongst all people who have followed the dogs for a long time, of still that scar tissue, right? Of, oh gosh, is something going to go wrong? And man. That's just not the Kirby smart dogs. It's just not. And we have to get accustomed to that. Get accustomed to, like he said, being the hunter. I mean, that that's it, right? It's this shift from things could go right to, well, we're going to control it and things will go right. I mean, I think that's the difference between Alabama all those years under Nick for whatever, you know, it's been feels like a hundred years, but it's been like 15 is, yeah. They were th- they were Thanos. They were just inevitable. They were going to happen. And something was going to have to go horribly wrong for them not to happen. I couldn't help but think that watching the SC title game, right? Or even the Florida game when the ball tips up and Brock catches it and runs for t- – like those are things that happen to us. <laughs> to us, exactly. And now they are the things that are happening for us. How about the interception off the helmet in the SC title game or yeah. the – field goal block where none of the players in the other team react and we run back for a touchdown. Like these are all things that come from being extremely well prepared, extremely well coached in the right place. I don't know, man. It's just, that's what we are now. We have to put our arms around that and embrace that. That's, that's what I feel about. It's a great time to be a dog fan. It's the good old days. As we keep saying, you're damn right it is. It's show enough is. All right, well, so six and a half. You feel, I mean, based on what we've talked about, I feel like you feel good about that number. I mean, yeah, and I never bet on the dogs. I never do because I don't want my real world money tied up in my um, team I'm emotionally invested in because that's just, that's asking for hurt right there yeah. more ways than one. But if I was not, if I was a going to bet on this game, I would put real world money on the dogs in this. And I think that it's going to, I think that they're going – I would take the dogs and I would take the over on this because I think that the dogs are going to win and I think it's going to – I don't think it's going to be relatively close. I think it's going to be at least a 14 to 17-point game when all said and done. Yeah, I, I don't think George is going to have any problem scoring points. I, I just don't. And first off, LSU putting up 30 first week in December, probably the best thing ever could happen because yeah. – I bet you Kirby has just been on their ass for four weeks. And that's the only thing that would have made you nervous, I think, is, oh, does Ohio State pop a couple big plays and it keeps them in the ball game? And I just, man, I don't see it. I just really don't see it. I think they're going to come out. 
I'm sure they've been playing the card too for a month that everybody's talking about Ohio state and everybody thinks Ohio state can beat you. And that's the only team in the country that could beat you. Blah, 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 blah. Nope. Them boys will come out fired up. How about tell me you heard the quote from Muschamp's press conference yesterday. I did. And God could, could Herbie just sound more salty? Oh my God. Yeah. I thought what a funny thing and a funny way for champ to end it. Right. By saying, make sure he knows I said that like an obvious, like funny rib and Herb street just, I thought couldn't have handled it much less cool. Like instead of just making a joke out of it and kind of making fun of himself, I don't know. He just kind of seemed butthurt about it. So yeah, apparently he's still not over it. (laughs) So apparently not. Yeah. He was very, I don't know, just not no real sense of humor about it at all. Whereas like just poke fun at yourself a little bit. Like that's funny. That's a funny comment. Like he even went into saying, which I thought this was kind of embarrassing. You know, I remember it was like those autograph footballs that were like, yeah, really and I had slippery, to shot, so I, yeah, I had to I had shot, to put, shot it. put it. I was like, come on, man. Like, but yeah. you don't really remember it. Yeah, but you remember it. Seems like you don't you really remember, remember it, but you can go into great detail. Yeah, I thought that was. Uh, so. uh, I thought that was funny. Yeah, I mean, so they'll have I, – I do hate that it's at eight. Man, I just hate waiting all day. That's the worst part. I know. Well, at least we got the Michigan TCU game at four. Yeah, how do you feel about that one? You know, I, when we did our picks earlier in um, in the month, like we did all of our bowl picks, I know I picked Michigan, but the closer we get to that game, I'm really liking TCU in this game. Yeah. Uh-huh. Just because they feel like that team – I don't know, like going back to the Baylor win and um, just all the comebacks and everything like that. And I don't know, there's just something about that team that I feel like they could, they match up well with Michigan. They do. They're a team that could give Michigan fits. Yes. I, that's, that's the thing for me. You know, everybody's been on Michigan because they dolly whopped Ohio State. And again, no different than when we talked about Tennessee, Alabama. Is that more an indictment of Ohio State or is it a, you know, kind of a, I don't know, validation of what everybody thinks Michigan is? And I just can't get past the Big Ten piece of it. Like the Big Ten is just not very good. And I think you keep seeing that the Big Ten is not very good. And I don't know. I, I wonder if, if maybe that just means Ohio State's not that good too. And I don't know. I'm with you, man. Plus, they're going to travel well. That's a that's a drive trip for TCU fans to go to Scottsdale. I mean, it's not a short drive, but they can drive. So, I don't know, man. I just I'm with you. That that feels like a game that I. By the way, I love TCU with the number. Like I oh, think yeah. it's gonna be a, I'm, I'm not necessarily a, sure TCU is going to win. I think TCU is going to cover. I think it's going to be a dog fight. I do too. I do too, and I think it's. I think TCU has presents some unique challenges for Michigan. And I think the difference too is didn't Sonny Dykes should strike you as a guy who his teams are tough. Like he seems like a guy who's kind of got some bulldog in him and his yeah. teams kind of play that way. I mean, dude, think about the games they won this year. Like they won a lot of games on grit and just figuring it out. Termination. And yeah. So I think, 
they're a they're a wild card for sure. I I'm I'm very interested to watch that ball game. Plus, I love the Fiesta Bowl. I think it's a cool cool game, and I think that stadium's cool. Sorry, and to me, it will always be the Tostitos Fiesta Bowl. I don't know what the hell yes. the sponsor is now, but it just sounds stupid. So I who, I can't. Who is I, it now? Is it Verbo? Yeah, I think so. I think it's Verbo. Yeah, it will always be Tostitos to me. Uh, which is, it just sounds idiotic. It's Tostitos. It's Tostitos. Sorry. Yeah. So, yeah. But, no, uh, I mean, there are some fairly good matchups. I mean, th- tell me the Sugar Bowl didn't get more interesting with Bryce Young and Will Anderson playing. Like, I was not looking forward to that game at all, but I think Kansas State, you know, and Alabama, I mean, that should be a fa- fairly entertaining game now. Yeah, so what's that? That's noon kick on Saturday? Noon kick, yeah. That's noon. Yeah. Yeah, I think that'll be a fun game. I think the I think the Tennessee Clemson game could be fun given the wild cards at quarterback for both teams. It'd be a fun game. I honestly don't know how much of that one I'm going to I'm going to see for the simple fact that well, I mean, you know, it, it's a lot of orange, but I was just going to ask you because of the copious <laughs> amounts of orange that'll be I just don't that. know if I can do it. <laughs> In the Orange Bowl, the copious amounts of orange. Um, yeah. But it's just uh, – I, I really just have no desire because it's – you know, I, I can't stand either one of those teams. And I'm sorry. After da- Dabo's comments on, on signing day, like, I, I – he has become one of the most punchable coaches in college football. Yeah, man. And it has nothing to do with whether you're religious or not. Like, could you be more of just a – just pompous dumbass like what it has nothing to do with that he either needs to move on and get with the times or he's going to be gone soon yeah it's going to be real interesting there because they benefit from playing in a really bad conference and you wonder how much longer they're going to be able to pull elite talent just because yeah, I don't know. I mean, look, they're not hurting for facilities and they got all the gear and all the stuff. Right. And they've got as many CFP titles as anybody um, during the current playoff system. So, you know, they got a lot to recruit on. It's just doesn't it feel like they haven't had a stud in a while, like a guy who you're like, whoa. I mean, like, Trevor, I mean, Tr- Trevor and Travis, e- Trevor Lawrence and Travis Etienne were the last two. But I'm, what I'm, that's what I mean is I feel like they were there seemingly forever. And then I think DJ was supposed to be kind of their next alpha, their next guy. And now he's going to be a beaver. So, yeah, it's just uh, I don't know, man. It feels like they missed on a couple of their big, quote unquote, hits in recruiting classes. And it just kind of hadn't turned yet. Now, look, all that could change if Kate Klubnik turns out to be a stud. But. I don't know, man. He seems a little rough around the edges to me. He just—I think the Shipley the problem, kid's good. Shipley's good, yeah. But the part of the problem is they don't recruit. They don't recruit the offensive line hardly at all, and they don't recruit it well. And he's just—he's getting to the point, Dabo, where this stick is not—it's not working. And it's like if yeah. you really look at the history of it, you know, you want to say you want to say that term, but then it's like, hey, didn't Desha- weren't you the coach for Deshaun Watson? Yeah. And then the scandal he just went through in the NFL, it's like, you can't have it both ways. Yeah. So it's it's like you need to move on with the times if you want to stay relevant in college football. Like, everyone has adapted. 
Kirby's adapted, Saban's adapted, everyone's adapted to all these changes, and you're stuck in 2019. And that I know that's only three years ago, but everything has changed in three years. Everything. Yeah. If I mean, if he doesn't get active in the transfer portal and get active with NIL and figure out ways to make those things attractive to top tier talent, they're, they're going to get left by the wayside and he will quickly be overtaken by Florida state. And Mike Norvell, who is not scared of either of those things. So now, I'm going to tell you something. You better watch out for the Knowles, Bubba. They're coming. They are coming. I would not, I would not be surprised with the players that with the recruiting class, they had come in and the guys they got from the portal this year. And they still probably might get a couple more from the portal. If they overtake Clemson, next year because of the fact that everything Clemson is losing from that defense because the only reason excuse me that Clemson won what they won this year was because of that defense because their offense was atrocious even if Klubnik turns out great they're still losing everything from that defense I got I got one more portal recruiting question I want to ask you and I'm gonna let you go were you or did you think it was curious that Jaden Daniels decided to go back to LSU and if you were an LSU fan, would that give you tepid excitement after what you saw from Nussmeyer in the in the SEC title game? I was was not surprised that he decided to stay because he, if I'm if I read it correctly, no, I I may be wrong on this because I it was really like a glossing thing. He's not a graduate transfer, and he's already used his one free pass. Mm, okay, got it. And I'm not a hundred percent sure on that, but I think that that was the main reason for him not going. So, and he would have to stay. He would have to sit out a year if I if I remember correctly. Well, so that makes more sense on his side. Then I guess then the second part of my question is more of a more of what I'm interested in is I, I, I don't know. I, just, I mean, it's, I didn't feel like he was the straw that stirred the drink for them. That, that that's how I felt. So I don't really feel like with Nussmeyer, it's like you got a half of football. Now, granted, it was against the dogs. You know, one of the best defenses. This second best statistic defense in college football but it's a half and yeah. that's really smoke and mirrors it's like it's not like he played a half of a season and had a like start to finish and teams were game planning for him and stuff like that that's why i hate when you know like this happens in the nfl all the time at least it used to where like a starter gets hurt a back come, backup comes in they do really well because there's no film on him then he gets this huge contract and then there's game plan for him and he stinks and people are like oh well how did he turn out so bad? It must be the organization. No, it's because the guy was never really that good. He's a backup for a reason. And that I, I feel like that happens a lot in college football as well, but just not as much because, you know, they don't get the job. They don't win the job at fall camp the next season, but they transfer and go to a smaller school. There's a reason they go to a smaller school. So I, I don't really, I think Daniels will probably be the starter next year again because of his athleticism, but he's, he's not, he's not just, very accurate. I just feel like they don't use him very well in that system, given his gifts. Like, I feel like they could do more stuff with him than they do. Like, getting him on the edge, getting him some opportunities to throw the deep ball more often, whatever it may be. I mean, I thought he looked pretty good in the first half against the Dogs. They run too much of a West Coast style. I think they need, if they're going to run a West Coast style, they need to run more like what Lincoln Riley does with Caleb Williams and let him, like you said, roll out more, give him the opportunity to throw the deep ball, do more RPOs with him. Yeah. Um, they need to give him more free reign to do what he's good at, which is running and using his legs. 
but most of the runs, at least in the games that I watched, were designed runs. It was quarterback draws, and they were planned runs off of the, the RPO. Like, there weren't many times that, it, like, I mean, I only watched them twice, Florida, Tennessee, and then obviously us, but where he would pull the ball and run it himself where it looked like, you know, where the end would crash. It Like, he'd pull it because it was an attention, and the end would be right there, and he'd get killed. So, I don't know, they just kind of hung him out to dry this year. But, I mean, LSU is losing a ton, and, I mean, I expect them to go right back to what they were, and Alabama's got a ton coming in this year. So it'll probably go right back to the hierarchy it was in the West. Yeah, I agree. I think Alabama's demise has been severely oversold uh, in the national markets. I think they'll be right back and ready next year. So I think Alabama is going to go more back to pre-Tua, though, because I don't know if they have the quarterback to – score 45 a game like they yeah. used to um but i could see them being you know more dominant on at the lines of scrimmage and on the other side of the ball defensively and winning 35 17 style and then blowing teams out you know 50 to 10 like they were well, pre two. i think george has shown you can do that still i think that's the yeah. other fallacy is that that's not the game anymore and i think kirby is interested sure you can we can still beat you up along both lines and control the game and do what we want. And I, I, I do think it's interesting too. Everybody adjusted on defense and got smaller so they could cover in space more. Well, what does that open up the opportunity to do is take advantage of a smaller defense. So there's always ebbs and flows. And I think you're going to see teams take more advantage of that. I mean, I think, you can kind of bully ball some people when they're just not big on defense because they're so committed to stopping the pass. So, yeah, it's going to be interesting, man. I'm, I'm just excited that we finally have a game to watch again because it has felt like the Valley. And to your point, forever when we, when we previewed the end of the season, talking about you're excited, but you're also sad because, you know, it's like almost over. And that's kind of how I feel about this. Like, man, you got guaranteed one game left, hopefully two games left, and then it's – oof. Eight months of nothing. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So, well, hey, hopefully right, for you, you'll have the, hopefully for you, you'll have the birds. The, hopefully they'll be good this season again. So it'll well, be an entertaining summer. I'm hoping they kind of whiffed on free agency. So we'll have to see. But even if they're in it and I got something to watch till August, September, I'm okay with that. So yeah, we'll rip for that. But um, all right, homie. Well, we'll be counting it down and, you know, and everybody's as excited as we are and hoping we got, Another one to prepare for next week. So hopefully we're coming back to all talk about a big dog's win and then preview in the national title game. But that's when we'll talk to you next. So until then, go dogs, sick them. Go dogs. Hey, George is better now. It's lunchtime at Tim Hortons, and we're serving up a special deal just for you. Our new $5.99 lunch deal includes your choice of any lunch sandwich and a side of crunchy kettle chips. Because what's lunch without a little crunch? And the sandwich choice is all yours. Like a ham and Swiss, Chipotle chicken wrap, BLT, and more. Made to order just the way you like it. Tim Hortons' new lunch deal. Simple, delicious, and just $5.99. Now that's a good deal. Only at your neighborhood Tim's. U.S. only. Price and participation vary. Terms apply.